0: Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik.
1: And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard.
0: Reverend, we have the privilege of speaking now to the 54th controller of the state of New York, the Honorable Thomas P. DiNapoli. And let me say this, that uh, years ago, he and I were honored. I by B'nai B'rith, he by Sons of Italy, which shows you their, their judgment was at least 50% correct. um, but it was a wonderful moment we met and we have become lifelong friends and it's a great great honor for me and controller i'm going to announce my retirement today because reverend is assigning all of his unclaimed and uncollected funds to me so i know i can now move on and keeping with jewish tradition move to boca (laughs) <laughs> and Thomas P. D'Anapoli, thanks so much for being with the Reverend Rabbi. I uh, love having well, you. Well,
2: Rabbi Joe, thank you for that nice introduction, and and Reverend Bernard, it's always great to be back with you, and I know you are way too smart. You would never sign off <laughs> your unclaimed funds to, Reverend, to, to Rabbi Potasnik. Never, never. But it's good to be back with both of you. I haven't done your show for, for too long, and I listened to it on, on, on Sunday morning, and you, you are a dynamic duo, and thank you for what you do, uh,
0: Mr. Controller, I want to begin also by thanking you uh, on behalf of uh, the Jewish community and so many other people uh, who applaud you for your decision to divest in Unilever because of the Ben and Jerry's, uh, you know, uh, boycotting products uh, uh, on the West Bank. Uh, and you came forward, and you said, look, we agree with that policy, it violates state policy, and I'm pulling back on the investment. Uh, not everybody would do that, I think, but you have always been there for us, and we are with you. So thank you for uh, that commitment.
2: Oh, thank you for mentioning it, Rabbi. You know, look, let me just point out that we we established a policy back in 2016 that we were not going to be invested with the pension fund in companies that support uh, boycott investment sanction uh, with regard to Israel. And, and and that's a very clear position that we take. So whenever a company that we invest in, and, you know, we're, we're the third largest largest public pension fund in the country, so we're invested all over the place, largely through index funds and public equities, if we hear or following the news, see that they could potentially be engaged in BDS activity, we engage with the the company. and We ask the question, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Explain to us what's happening. In this case, Ben & Jerry's is is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Unilever. And frankly, Unilever, as the parent company, gave us... An unsatisfactory response to that question, uh, and we gave them a second chance uh, to try to answer our concerns, and they, they, you know, they basically just wrote wrote us off. We prefer to be invested, not to divest, but we, our policy is pretty clear. And let me say this, uh, Rabbi and Rev, uh, you know, because I do want to make this clear: when we make our decisions, because you know, we have 1.1 million New Yorkers who are in our pension fund, we have to do it from the perspective of what's good for. You know our beneficiaries and our members. And, and we believe strongly that BDS, because it aims to harm uh, the Israeli economy, by extension harms our investments. Why do I say that? We have over $900 million worth of investments, public equity, private equity, uh, Israel bonds, and fixed income. We have a significant stake in the Israeli economy. So if you're looking to cripple the Israeli economy, as part of a political agenda, you will put our investments there at Mm -hmm. risk. So we Mm -hmm. very much view this – I mean, I have my own, obviously, very strong opinions about support for the state of Israel. I think New York feels very close to Israel. that has been a long history. But we also viewed this as a risk to our investments. So, So, look, I would have preferred Unilever had a different position. We had a similar issue. With Airbnb, not long ago, where they were delisting properties uh, in in the West Bank, we raised the concern. They changed their mind, and they and they and they they reversed their initial policy decision. Let's hope with the pressure that New York and Florida, Arizona, uh, New Jersey, other states are, are putting. Let, let's hope they they make a different decision, and then we'd be happy to be invested with them again.
1: You know, c- c- Comptroller, let me just commend you on your moral courage to uh, take a position like this. And to clarify, because there are those who will say, well, you can't make decisions based on religion. This is not a religious decision. Uh, You had a fiduciary responsibility uh, and you had investments to protect and investors to protect. I think that's very, very important what you just stated.
2: Yeah. It it is and, and and I appreciate your emphasizing that, uh, Rev. But, you know, part of the challenge we have as a public, you know, pension fund, obviously people have many opinions about where where we should put money and and uh you know, We have to look at it from the bottom line But we also understand because we are a public entity That we, ha- we have to look at the consequences of, of where our capital is going So we actually spend a lot of time In addition to making smart choices On, on, on how we invest To engage with the companies We invest in on a host of issues I mean this is, this is one issue in terms of BDS We have a clear policy there But whether it's a, a labor issue uh, An environment issue Especially on, 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 on climate If it's a corporate governance issue, we've been making a, a big push uh, on diversity on, on boards of directors. We, particularly a couple of years ago, were part of a coalition to put more women on boards. In the aftermath of the George Floyd a tragedy. We have stepped up our efforts for more diversity with regard to racial diversity on boards of directors, disability inclusion, making sure people with disabilities uh, have uh, working companies with friendly workplace policies, LGBTQ. You go down a long list of concerns. We understand that that the money we invest is money that, that public employees are putting into the fund, that taxpayers through government employers are putting into the fund, and we want to be long-term buy-and-hold investors, and that means the companies we invest in we want them to be good corporate citizens on all these issues. So issues of diversity, equity, inclusion as part of the current debate, that's important to us. And, and so it's what we, we call our double-line uh, approach to investing. Yeah, we want to make money, and that's our first priority. We also want to minimize risk, and we want to make sure that for the long haul, companies are going to be profitable because they, they are incorporating good corporate practices – and Rev. Rabbi, I'd say that usually is good moral practices yeah. as well.
0: I was just going to say how heartening it is to know when you invest, it's not just about being fiscally responsible, it's about being morally responsible. It's yeah. part of the equation, and you don't separate one from the other. Uh, you know, we always hear President, Governor, offer a State of the Union. Talk about the State of the Fiscal Union now, after all that we have endured uh, during this COVID crisis. Where are yeah. we and where are we going?
2: Yeah. Well, look, you know, the key word that you put in that question, Rabbi, was during. You know, I wish I could say it was in the rearview mirror and we've gotten through it. Obviously not with the current issue about uh, this latest variant. Uh, It's a real concern. And so in terms of fiscal impact, you know, until we're through this, uh, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. Where we're at, though, at the moment, from a a fiscal point of view for the state, is is certainly a much stronger position than we thought we were going to be in. That's for a combination of reasons. First of all, the economy has been recovering. Covering. Slowly in fits and starts, but you know, tax collections remain strong, sales tax collections are up. People are starting to uh, be rehired again, although and we lost about 1.9 million jobs in New York State uh, at the depths of the, the economic uh, shutdown. We've, we've grown back about 60% of those jobs, so we have a ways to go. But when we did our last uh, analysis of where the state budget was at, we're actually uh, as of October, uh, the most recent numbers uh, over eight billion dollars ahead of where we thought we would be, so that 's because the tax collections are coming in stronger than first anticipated. The legislation the governor also increased taxes on our upper income new yorkers so that 's being reflected in that The big game changer though is the money from Washington twelve point seven billion for New York state directly, billions more for New York City and localities across the state for schools, hospitals so so that federal money has made the the big difference. And I would just, you know, wrap up the, the question and my answer to your question by saying, we have to keep in mind that federal money is not forever. We can't spend it like it's recurring money because it's not. We have to be careful. That's certainly the perspective we bring to the table from the controller's office. The hope is that the economy will continue to recover, and as the federal money is spent down, the economic resurgence uh, will will then replace that money. But you know. If people aren't careful, if this variant takes hold and we move backwards as far as having to to take some of the steps we took when the pandemic first hit, you know, that could put the economy in a negative way. You saw this past week, the markets being so volatile and being very negative based on the public health news. So so the public health issue very much underpins where where the economy is at and that underpins where the government revenues are at.
1: Well, let me ask you something, uh, Comptroller. Uh, New York State receives the lion's share of its revenues from taxes, correct? Income taxes?
2: Yep, right. Right. Income taxes, sales taxes, those are the two big revenue sources for the state. Yep.
1: Right. And, you know, people complain about, you know, the taxes. And yet the quality of life here in New York compared to even Florida, I have to be careful here, or other places that you would think, you know, it would be a little bit better. uh, The quality of life, quality of education, is better here in in New York, even though the cost of living is higher.
2: Rev, that's my perspective, certainly. Uh, and that's why I'm proud I'm a, a lifelong New Yorker and always will be. But I, I think we also have to recognize that... Um, Cost is an issue, and people, you know, rightfully raise the question: Are we getting full value? I think we are better than than, than most other states. Healthcare, you didn't mention that. I mean, you know, if, if mm-hmm. and especially as we understand through the pandemic, the importance of healthcare. You know, uh, God bless our all of our medical professionals uh, here in New York. Uh, but we also also have to recognize that that you know there there have been some. D- Significant disparities between communities in terms of who's able to access some of those services. Certainly, from a New York City perspective, you know, as we, you know, look, look, we're going to have a change in administration with the city. You know, uh, Eric Adams coming in as mayor. A lot of concerns about public safety, about cleanliness, uh, homeless, uh, you know, on the streets. You know, so we're, we're we're not perfect, right? We we still have more work to do, and that's why. You know, our role, we do an audit, we make recommendations, uh, you know, about a particular program. It's always with the view of, of, of trying to get the best value for the taxpayer dollar, because you're right. We, perhaps we do pay a premium in New York, and overall I think the benefits certainly uh, outweigh the cost. Uh, but could we do better? Absolutely. Do we, do we have to make sure that everybody benefits equally? We have to do a better job on that front as well.
1: Mr. Confir- and that's been the model for a good while. Who determines this model as to where the greatest percentage of revenues comes into the city? Is that the governor position? Who who, who makes those decisions?
2: Well, ultimately, revenue choices, which, you know, largely get back to the question of taxes and, and what's the level of taxation. That's between the legislature and the governor at the state level, obviously, in New York City you know the the big tax that the city has direct control over is the property tax so that would be the city council and the mayor in that regard but as i said one of the reasons why we're in 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 strong shape right now is that the federal government uh, has really in response to the pandemic come through with an unprecedented level of support with the american rescue plan and now we expect more money to come in with the infrastructure bill and and we know washington is still Deadlocked on the other piece of the Biden economic agenda, the Build Back Better uh, legislation, we'll see whether or not that uh, uh, survives. I think it will in some form, and probably more money there. So, so we don't control those decisions here in New York, but certainly the federal government has become an even bigger player in uh, in the strength of our budgets for New York City and for New York State. We're speaking with
0: the Controller of the State of New York, Thomas P. DiNapoli. Mr. Controller, many would argue that, uh, as the candidate said years ago, is was running for office, the rent is too damn high, so the taxes are too damn high. <laughs> we're paying yeah. a lot of money, crime is up, uh, education is not what it should be, uh, it's the streets, we have the proliferation of the homeless, a lot of problems here, so we're not getting value for what we're investing and in. We could go to another state and have a more relaxed way of life, and maybe at a certain stage of life, people are more comfortable with that relaxed form, and you lose them. And in many cases, they're not coming back. You know, and that has an impact. I, I think when taxes are raised, you always have to ask the pluses and the minuses. What do we gain? What do we lose? And I I think we have lost people uh, who did contribute significantly to the economy who said it's not worth it anymore. What do you say
2: to them? Oh, it's a it's a valid observation, but but I, I would also pivot back to, you know, to what Reverend Bernard said. It, you know, if you look at... What New York tries to do, and and, and perhaps New York suffers from, from being a state with a big heart and a long history of that, you know, this is a state where particularly for vulnerable people, we may not always get it right. But we, we, we really do put a priority on trying very hard not to have uh, folks in the shadows. Again, n- not a perfect answer on that. But, you know, I think you know, when I talk to folks that end up in other states, uh, yeah, maybe the weather is a little better. Maybe the taxes are cheaper. But very often uh, the public schools, I know not that we don't have some issues in our own state, but generally speaking, a lot of other states, you know, you, you end up mm-hmm. sending your kids to private school because the public schools, you just can't. Health care. You get really sick, God forbid you have someone in your family with a particular disease or condition. In many other states, you just don't have the, the access to the health care. So, you know, I would still say in terms of of, of of overall quality of life and certainly energy, look, with all of New York City's problems – and you outlined some of them, Rabbi. But this is the place that, that people want to be in terms of creativity, dynamism. Uh, and New York's going to come back. We, look, we're going through a tough spell right now. There's no doubt about it. The pandemic hit us hard and early, and we're still trying to dig out from under that. Uh, but New York is going to come back. I, I, I believe that strongly. This is the place that you know that people want to be. So, yeah, we've got to fasten our seatbelts. We've still got a rough few months ahead of us. Uh, there's going to be new leadership in the city. New York State as well. We've had a lot of changes in state government that we're all very familiar with. We've got a big election year next year, possibly even more changes. We'll see how it all shakes out. But um, I would never not bet on New York. And, and, and you know, we may not get it 100 percent right, but at least we try harder than anybody else to get it right. And I believe in the long run we will.
1: Spoken like a true New Yorker. I, I appreciate that, controller. Controller, you, you took office 2007. Before that, you were Assembly, State Assembly. But 14 years that you have been controller. Let's talk about the state of politics in our nation, not just New York, but in our nation, because you have to be in tune to all of this. Uh, what are your feelings on where we are politically?
2: I'm concerned. I you know, I I I've been involved for a long time. I was one of those kids sitting in front of the TV in the 60s and 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 felt challenged and moved and inspired by Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement by the Kennedy brothers. You know, the the, the leadership at that time, uh you know, from my perspective, there were some real uh, heroes that I could look to. And you know, my concern right now is that the the level of discourse in the political arena uh let's just say it's not not uplifting uh in fact there's so much negativity uh so much pettiness in the discourse personal attacks and i know you know historically there's always some of that that's not new uh but it just seems that we've we've gone to to a lower level in 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 recent years and i worry about the young person you know as i was back then inspired to get involved uh T- to care about politics, about civic engagement they 're seeing the level of discourse that 's out there and and, and and I worry that it 's turning too many young people off and 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 if we don 't have that lifeblood of new infusion of of, of of young people into the political system to help us bring it to a better place we 're going to lose something very precious in our democracy so i'm i 'm not thrilled with where we 're at right now and 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 that 's why to a certain extent i I challenge back, you know, to uh, to you, Reverend and Rabbi, in the faith community. You know, we we need more guidance. Um and challenge from the faith community to, to have all of us understand about the need for civility, to be charitable to each other, even when we have disagreements. Um, we've got to do something to just elevate the level of discussion uh, out there, whether that's a discussion, you know, across the kitchen table or in the workplace or, you know, in the halls of Congress. It, it, it's, it's, oh. We've got we've to make it better than it is right now.
0: I, and I think we have to marginalize people who behave in that uncivil fashion. You know, it's unacceptable. And if you want to engage in that stuff, you want to engage in the name calling and all the put downs. Uh, we're not for you. Let's have let's cancel culture work that way. Let's eliminate well, those who don't meet a certain decent standard. You know, uh, you know, and, you
2: know and, and it's harder. It's harder. I mean, not to pick on social media like we all do, but yeah. I will. It's harder in the in the Twitter environment because you know the 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 anonymity that people use you know then to post things or say things. You know, in the old days, you got a nasty letter to the editor that someone didn't sign once in a while. But now it's like one person says something lousy, 500 other people, you know, do the same. It's, 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 a, it's a different environment, and it's created new challenges that we haven't figured out how to master.
1: Yeah, it's called the, the viral bandwagon, and people jump yeah. on it without even yeah. fact-checking to see if it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you said something so important. When I was in school, uh, which was just a, a short time ago,
0: uh, like, like
1: we, we had civic we had civics yeah we had, yes. it was part of the program it was part of the curriculum and that's not true in most schools uh, across our country not just here in new york
2: yeah and and yeah.
1: i think we 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 miss out as young people understanding the importance of government
0: the function of government and how the system works rabbi you remember right yeah no you know it was and not only that i remember running home from school to watch the press conferences With John F. Kennedy, yeah, right, and uh, Mm who was that Mm -hmm. one reporter? Helen Thomas, right. He always would say Helen Thomas for the. But the exchange, the sharpness, the wit, the wisdom—you know—you were proud of the moment. You said, "Now you can disagree with policy, but in terms of leadership qualities, uh, they were there." Then you, you know, you keep going, and you find the nastiness has increased, the decency has decreased. But we accept it, we tolerate it, or we excuse it. Uh, You know, I have people say to me all the time, well, the policy is good. Forget the person. I'm a faith leader. I can't forget the person. We're all about, you know, the character of the person. Right. Right. We we, you know, all of our our leaders were exemplars of of decency and dignity. So you can't just
1: discard Uh. it. Rabbi, some of our assignments were going home and watching the news. Yeah. Uh, I,
2: but, you know, of course, you were the one who
1: told me about the Huntley-Brinkley report. I, I, I didn't know who those two guys were.
2: Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. That but was this fun. Is a, this is such a key point because back then we all went home and they were, what, Three networks that we looked at we, we had a common source of information and reference now mm-hmm. you have all these different ways you know uh, uh, you know between cable and then obviously the internet you know some people don't watch anything that's even remotely objective they just go to a bias source that agrees with their predetermined thought on something it just reinforces we don't have a common meeting place to share ideas mm-hmm. and, 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 and so we're, we're reacting with different sources of information we can't even agree on the facts let alone agree on the opinions about how to interpret those facts and i think that's that's another problem i miss the days when we it's abc NBC, you know or cbs but it was all kind of the same information doesn't exist now there's there's no commonality with the rabbit ears on top of the tv yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Well. Yeah. Right. Right. And the tin foil, but it wasn't working quite right. Uh, you know, but if, or the aluminum foil, whatever it was. No, but that, that's that's one of the problems. We don't have a common source of, of data anymore, and 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 so biases get reinforced, and we live in our own little echo chambers. It's a real real problem. Yeah. But you know, can I just say, uh, you know, because I'm sure, a segment may be coming close. A great moment that I was privileged to be a part of was just you know this. Past week in Times Square, despite the cold, gathering together for the menorah lighting and and and, and Rabbi, you were there, and mm-hmm. obviously it was an important Jewish holiday. But what made it special, Reverend Bernard had the choir from Christian yep, Cultural yep. Center there, and they were wonderful, and 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 really reminded us that that. Universal message of Hanukkah, the the victory of light over darkness, is one not just for Jews, one we all need to embrace, especially during the dark times that we've been talking about. That's that sense of hope. You know, I I still have (laughs) – sometimes – Sometimes it's a little buried in me, but it's still there. And I know certainly the work that the so, two of you do, uh, it's very much there. And, and, and you know, so to me that's still the positive. And that's New York. Yeah. That's New York, a, a Jewish community coming together, uh, signing, sh- shining a light against anti-Semitism, lighting the menorah, and having the Christian Cultural yep. Center, having their choir really— Uplifting the entire uh, celebration. So, that's I, New York. You,
1: you you said it so nicely. You said Christian cultural center, but we had a black gospel choir right there on the stage. Yeah. I'll say, yeah. it. You know, and you and know, that's what that's what we should see. Yeah, you, you know, know these I,
0: communities working together, not against each other. I remember yep. calling the Reverend. I said, we have this demonstration against anti-Semitism. You know, could we get you know your group, the choir? And he said, listen, anti-Semitism is our problem too. We're all mm-hmm. in this. Fighting, you know, anti-Semitism. You should also know this past week was 66 years since Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you look at Hanukkah fighting back against prejudice, hatred, you know. And, you know, those are the stories we need to tell our kids. Uh, you were talk about hope for the future. There was hope in the past that we can rekindle that light. Uh, and there should be, you know, a rebirth of that, uh, of that commitment to, to making things better. So uh, it was a great moment, and again, it was cold, but it was warm in terms of uh, the human element there. That said, we, we are not going to tolerate hatred against any group. Today it's the Jews; tomorrow it's some other group. Uh, we, we we and we Rabbi, you know road. the
1: controller. You know the controller is a person of faith. He doesn't talk uh, too much. He has to be careful. Yeah, but but, uh, but you know when you say that, Rev. You.
0: When you say that, Rev. I will say this about the controller: he's a person of faith, but he's been to more synagogues over the years, <laughs> that any, I think that people of the Jewish faith, I, I haven't been to as many synagogues as he's been to. Um, and, he's, and he knows when he goes in, he knows the service. Uh, he knows, you know, the lingo. Uh, so he is a person, look, he's a, I know he goes to church on a regular basis. I've seen his attendance record every week. There's a checkbook there and an, and an envelope. Uh, but he's also one who respects other faiths. And to me, that's yeah. the consummate person of faith.
2: Well, Reverend, I appreciate you mentioning it, and and, and I—it's been a while. I have to get back, but going to CCC—that uh, is one of my great recollections. You know, my time as controller. When I've had the chance on a couple of occasions uh, to be part of your wonderful congregation, and and as Rabbi Joe knows, uh, many of the Jewish celebrations—it's been a privilege for me to be a part of. But you know, I think, you know, for me, um, just like for my immigrant grandparents who came over. Uh, it was the faith that got them through many, many tough times, and I feel I honor my grandparents and my parents when, when I continue that. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the Catholic faith that I was born into, uh, proud to be a cradle Catholic. But, you know, whatever you choose to have as your belief system, I just think it's so important to to have something to hold on to, to believe in. And there, there is a greater presence out there that we need to, however we choose to do it. And uh, I just thank the two of you for being among the extraordinary religious leaders that we have in our, in our great uh, city and state of New York. Well, thank you.
0: Rev, I just want to say, you want to know about Tom DiNapoli? Whenever I would go to a ceremony where he was playing a significant role, either as, a, either as an honoree or honoring someone else, he consistently would mention his father and I remember when his father was sitting in the audience and he would talk about his dad, and I would say to his dad later on, isn't it, isn't it so nice when a child is proud of a parent? Yeah. Uh, because his parent is proud of him, that's for sure. But yeah. when you see that relationship, and with his whole family, I've, I've met members of the family, the closeness they enjoy uh, is an example of of real love and loyalty to one another. So he's very special, and New York State is very... Privilege to have him as our controller, Thomas B. Dinowski.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, controller, for being with us and just a, a great person. Never mind controller, not never mind, but in addition to controller, you're just a great person. And we appreciate that because sometimes you can have someone doing very well in political office, but as an individual, as a human being, it's a different right, story. Right. Thank you for being the, well, the, the person that you You're both too are.
2: kind. Thank you very much. Let's not make it so much time between uh, my being on your show.
0: All right. To that. Look forward to it. Thanks. God
1: bless. Bye-bye. And we'll be Bye-bye. back with more of the Rev and,
2: and the, the Rabbi, Rabbi right
1: here on 77 W-A-C. W.A.B.C.